Nehemiah 5, beginning in verse 14. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was repaired at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds, and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this I did not demand the food allowance of the governor, because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember for my good, O oh my God, all that I have done for this people. Let's pray that prayer we pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Sorry to miss everybody last week. I'm not sure I've missed a Sunday for sickness yet, so that was unusual. And go figure, you know, I line up a sub for last Sunday, looking forward to kind of a week off from writing, and I spend half of it coughing and sneezing and drinking tea, which is a sad drink for a coffee drinker. But anyway, thank you to Reverend Green for filling in. How many of you are familiar with the phrase, uh, just because you can doesn't mean you should? Right. You can apply that in a lot of circumstances. It could be like something somebody's wearing, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I saw this morning an, an article just briefly about how, you know, you know the, the uh, copyright on Mickey Mouse has expired as of this year. And somebody has already gone to the trouble to make a slasher flick, uh, you know, based on Mickey Mouse. And it's just like, again, just because you can, you can legally do it, yes, but just because you can doesn't mean you should. It's a good slogan, I think, in some ways for today's passage, and, and really a lot of chapter 5. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. That's basically what Nehemiah is trying to say here. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we saw that many of the people were crying out, in Jerusalem. They're all working on this wall, but the, the poorest people are suffering through it more than anybody. Uh, they're losing money in the process because they're not working their own lands and their other jobs. They're mortgaging their properties away, selling their children, paying a lot of taxes, and meanwhile they can't barely feed themselves. Uh, and meanwhile we learned that the wealthier residents in town were making bank. They're providing loans, which is fine, but the interest was crushing the poor and hampering the war effort and it's splitting up homes in the process and robbing the poor of their children. This was not illegal uh, under any Persian law, certainly, but while they had every legal right to do these things, that didn't make it moral. Just because they could didn't mean they should. And so Nehemiah kind of put the screws to these guys and made them give everything back, and he made them all take vows not to charge interest anymore and to provide whatever was needed, and basically to start treating each other like family. But a lot of good leadership comes down to setting a good example, and that's what Nehemiah talks about here. He wants us to know how he did his part in response to that. And, and, and this is why verse 14 starts with that clause, moreover, 
It's a connected thought to what we were reading last time. So Nehemiah says, look, I stopped the abuse I was hearing about, but on top of that, I went on to set a better example. And that's what he tells us about. He basically shows that what's good for the goose is good for the gander. He, 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 if he's going to tell the rich in the previous section, like, just because you can charge interest doesn't mean you should, he's going to compare that to how he's going to handle it. And by way of contrast, compare himself not only to the rich nobles who were taking advantage of people before, but also the previous governors who were running the place before he got here. Now, why would you do that? Well, for one obvious reason, Nehemiah thinks his record is good enough to be worth comparing. Uh, <clears throat> you don't usually invite people to make comparisons about you uh, unless you think they're going to be favorable. You don't want to look bad, right? Like, I don't want you to go home on Sundays and listen to Alistair Begg and think to yourself, like, you know, he's got some edge on Matt, you know? You know, it's not necessarily a favorable contrast. I don't want to be compared to that. Last week, while I was sick, I, I listened to Alistair Begg preach on a passage that I had preached a couple years back, only to wonder how I missed this many obvious things that sound so clear coming from him. So yeah, don't compare me to him. I can't match his accent anyway. Um, I'd rather be compared to somebody who puts you to sleep, you know? Um, compare me to Reverend Lovejoy from The Simpsons or something, right? Well, Nehemiah is pretty sure that this comparison will be favorable, and he wants us to know what he gave up in the process, what he has sacrificed to do it differently than his predecessors. And he is ruling, he is ruling as the governor at this point, and, and that's suddenly made clear. I'm not sure if it was mentioned before this time, but what does he say? Moreover, from the time I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. So he's talking about his 12 years in Jerusalem. Uh, and, and we're not that far into his tenure at this point in the story. It's only been a few months, right? Uh, but he's jumping out of the timeline of the story to the present day and kind of giving a bird's eye view saying, I became governor in the 20th year of Artaxerxes' reign. It's been about 12 years now, 12 years of governor. But from day one, what he wants you to know is, I have never taken advantage of my rights as a governor. In 12 years, I have never taken the food allowance. Now, what is that? We don't do allowances in my house not how it works. Like, you know, if you want spare change, get a job. It's, you know. And doing chores is not a job because I don't get paid the vacuum, so why should you? You know? And if I don't pay your mother to make dinner, I don't know what makes you think that you're special. You know, like, that doesn't work that way. But some families, you know, families do allowances. I'm not judging. It's just not how we handle it. And, and, you know, if you watch some old TV shows going back to the 50s, it'll refer to husbands giving their wives an allowance, like an I Love Lucy. It's like, Whoa, like that's very countercultural at this point. I kind of like the idea, you know, we'll put a limit on all those thrift store runs, but you know. <laughs> but what's an allowance, really? It's, it's essentially an entitlement, right? An entitlement program, something that you get for no particular reason, something you get for just existing in your current post by virtue of your office. Now, like, as a pastor, I receive a housing allowance. Don't get any ideas, kids. Um, basically just means there's a quirk in IRS law that means I don't have to pay certain taxes on what I spend on my housing costs. So it's like a tax perk. 
that they call an allowance, something that I get by virtue of a status as, the, as a minister. How the IRS let that one slip, I'll never know. They'll probably get rid of it eventually, right? So I'll just uh, you take what you can get. Some allowances are a lot more impressive than that. Uh, if you consider like the President of the United States, right? He has allowances. And the President is allowed to use a private plane, for instance, Air Force One. He can travel anywhere in the world. He is allowed to live in the White House at taxpayer expense. He is allowed free meals, as much as he can eat. Good stuff, too. And, and while I could criticize many things about the current president, I don't begrudge him these things. These are just understandable allowances because of his office. It's a hard job, and the man should be free to travel and live in a nice house and eat. That's standard allowances for being president. He gets those things by virtue of his office. Well, the governor of Judea was entitled to some allowances, too. As a Persian official, he's entitled to some things, even in this hick backwater of Judea. And what Nehemiah specifically states is that the governor was entitled to a food allowance. He is entitled under Persian law to eat freely. His grocery bills should be paid. But when you read verse 15 carefully, it looks like the way that this typically worked was that most governors, rather than demanding that you send him supper, demanded cash instead. And who doesn't like cash? I can spend cash at any restaurant. It's nice. And if I don't spend it all, I can pocket the difference. See, if you, if you send me a meal, let's say, like a covered plate, that can be a risky venture for me because I don't know how well you cook. Let's be honest, right? Thankfully, we have many excellent cooks in this congregation, and today is Super Sunday. We have our soups downstairs, and our soup lunches, as far as I'm concerned, are legendary. I think it's wonderful. It's my favorite thing. But not everyone can cook. And not every meal is a pleasant surprise, either, if people get adventurous. When Grace was born, we were living in State College, and our church there sent us meals. Some were better than others, but it was like 95% pasta casseroles. And some people would send these huge salads to go with it. That's like, how are two people supposed to eat all this anyway? And it became like a storage nightmare very quickly. And I never wanted to eat, you know, another pasta casserole again, especially made by non-Italians. So cash is king, you know? And so the other governors demanded cash instead of food. That sounds practical, but it's also, also open to considerable abuse when you think about it. Because if I am allowed to save the difference, I suddenly have an incentive to collect an awful lot more than I actually need. And I actually like the way this is literally worded here. When it says that they laid a heavy burden, it says that they made themselves heavy on the people, is actually what the Hebrew says. The food allowance became a front for lining their pockets. It takes your entitlement, your allowance, and it's turning it into a get-rich scheme for yourself. And that's what it sounds like these other governors did. They, they were hauling in 40 shekels a day just to feed themselves. The ESV footnote tells you a shekel is about two-fifths of an ounce, and so just doing quick math, math last night, that's a pound of silver daily. That's a lot of coin. Way more than it should cost to feed a single household for a day. 
And it was even worse because of the attitude of the previous governor. They, they, they not only taxed the people heavily, made themselves heavy on the people, Nehemiah says that even their servants acted all high and mighty with the people in the process. I'm a slave of the governor. I don't know who you think you're talking to. Like, is there anything worse than being talked down to by somebody's servant? Like some 16-year-old kid working at McDonald's lecturing you about something about your order? You know, like, I mean, it just feels insulting. Like, But Nehemiah is a model of godly leadership. He turns the allowance down entirely. No food, no cash, no DoorDash gift cards, nothing. And why? Because he feared God. And it's hard to be arrogant when you fear God. It's hard to be demanding when you fear God. It's hard to take advantage of people when you fear God. So Nehemiah says, I did it differently. Just because I could didn't mean I should, so I didn't. He's striking a, a model of godly leadership because that's he's showing us how he did that by what he did not do. But he goes on. Verse 16, I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. So he goes a step further. What he's trying to say here is that he has not lost sight of the mission. I'm here to build a wall. So that's what I kept doing. And I not only took no food allowance, I also acquired no land. I'm not a real estate mogul. I'm here to build the wall. And maybe there were bargains to be had all over the city, and Nehemiah could have gotten in on the ground floor of that housing market, but that wasn't his mission. He focuses on the mission. And moreover, he says, my servants didn't have time to strut around Jerusalem lording it over people and being saucy. They're also here to build the wall, not just to make me comfortable. My mission is their mission. They don't have time to lord it over people if they're hauling rocks all day with me. But the next thing that happens is, is probably the most remarkable thing in the passage. Verse 17 and 18 says, Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews, and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds, and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. I want you to pause and just think about these numbers for a minute in case you breeze by it. Every night at Nehemiah's table in the governor's residence, he entertains no less than 150 Jewish men and officials, so not counting the women and children. And besides that, those who came from the nations around us. In other words, every non-Jew who had nevertheless offered to help, and possibly many of the same Jews who had left their farms and were now going hungry in the first part of the chapter. So hundreds of people every night. This is like a hospitality nightmare. Now, I've worked in an industrial kitchen. When I was at Penn State, we used to feed a couple thousand kids every weekend for like a Sunday brunch. How did we do it? 
We did it with dozens of full-time employees and at least as many student employees, three managers, a full complement of very expensive modern kitchen equipment, and there was still a line out the door the entire time, and it took three hours to feed this crowd. My point being, that's not a small undertaking. Nehemiah's servants, who spend all day on the wall, as he just told us, end up racing back to the house and start preparing to serve hundreds of guests, probably well into the night. And perhaps you wonder, well, what would it take to serve such an army? Glad you asked. Nehemiah tells us what you serve. It requires one whole ox, six choice sheep, and I take it six birds also daily. That's a lot of meat. This is basically shady maple level stuff. And every 10 days, just as a treat, comes a shipment of wine. What wine? All kinds of wine in abundance. It's an open bar. And let's remember, this would not be the crappy box stuff. This isn't Carlo Rossi. This would be good imported stuff. The Chilean stuff, the Italian, the French. How do I know? Because Nehemiah is a wine connoisseur. He's the king's bartender, and he knows the good stuff. The king's cupbearer doesn't serve swill. He's treating the workers like royalty. This is a feast fit for a king. And it happens every night. Why? What would possess Nehemiah to do this? Well, he gives two reasons sort of explicitly. He says because he fears God, in verse 15, and he says because the service was too heavy on the people, in verse 18. Nehemiah's fear of God makes him concerned for the people's welfare. He feeds them like royalty to make their burdens lighter. And most remarkable of all, he does it on his own dime. What a governor. Now, you have to figure it's worth considering that Nehemiah must be fairly wealthy. Uh, he didn't come here with a Brinks security truck like Ezra did. He's not depending on the royal treasury, that means, so he must be a man of some independent means. My guess is that either being a cupbearer paid better than we thought, uh, or his family was wealthy to begin with, but either way, he must have some cash on hand, so I, I don't want you to take away from this that we should imitate Nehemiah in every particular. You may not have what Nehemiah had, and you can't be generous with what you don't have. But it is worth asking the question, uh, how generous are you with what you do have? It's worth reflecting on Nehemiah's model of generosity. It's a stunning show of hospitality. Because he could be spending that money on a great many things. His own comfort, real estate, a private wine cellar, more weapons, baseball cards. It doesn't really matter, right? It's his money. But Nehemiah chooses to use his wealth to bless others. In other words, sort of reversing it, just because he can, he does. 
maybe you think that's a reversal completely. It's not really a reversal. Uh, I, I would say both things are true at once. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should, but sometimes you should do something if you can. Maybe that sounds like a Dr. Seuss riddle, I'm sorry, but it's true. Or let me put it this way. You have the right to do many things, but some things you can do are better than others. You have the right to do some things, but also the freedom to choose something better. You have to discriminate. Nehemiah had it in his power to create burdens or to alleviate them. To make people's lives a hassle or a joy. And because he feared God, he chose the latter. Nehemiah had every right to accept the food allowance, but he didn't, not to benefit even his brothers. Instead, he gives food away, and better than that, he serves up gourmet meals. He uses his freedom to bless others above and beyond measure. No one in Jerusalem eats or drinks better than Nehemiah's guests. He demands a lot of his people, but he treats them like he cares. And perhaps that's why... Nehemiah feels like he can end with this little prayer. Remember, for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. You know, my mother always said, you shouldn't toot your own horn. Nehemiah's mother must have missed that one. Um, it, it's one of the weird things in this book, and I, I don't think this is the last time he does this. Uh, Nehemiah is comfortable with evaluating his own track record and saying, I did pretty good there. And that may come across as arrogant, and, and there was a part of me that thought, like, it almost reminds you of the Pharisee thanking God that I'm not like other men or something like that, but, but I think that misses his point. Nehemiah is not boasting, but asking God to remember him. He wants to be seen. And, and I think there's a couple things you can learn just from that verse on its own, and one is that sometimes it's good to reflect on the good that we have done because it's a sign of God's goodness through us. And it may strike you as odd, you know, we're Calvinists here, we don't believe in good people, and that's true and correct, and in yourself you have nothing that is not tainted with sin. However, if you are in Christ, God doesn't see your sin anymore. In fact, in Christ, it is now possible for you to please God. That doesn't mean you can save yourself by your works. It means that if you are already saved, you are able to do good works now. You've been freed from sin and liberated to do good works. Like it says in Ephesians 2, you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. And I think this brief prayer indicates that it's okay to remind God when those good things, you do those good things because your sinful record is wiped clean. It's not that uncommon in the Old Testament to say, you know, God, don't remember my sins. Don't remember all my screw-ups, please. But I did do that one thing. <laughs> I think God accepts even our weak and feeble obedience in Christ. So it's not wrong to appeal to God to remember the sacrifices that you've made and to ask him not to forget. This is not a boasting scene. This is Nehemiah asking God to remember his sacrifices. He's asking that because he wants to know that his life and work and will, will be worth it, that it won't be in vain. 
that God would keep his, only his obedience on the permanent record. It's what we all want. We all want God to see us in all of our efforts, and we want him to remember what we did right and to forget all of the bad stuff. And in Christ, that's what he does. I don't know how many of you have ever prayed like that. I, I don't do that very often. I, I'm, not, I'm not even sure I would know how to. Maybe I should try more often. Maybe this is more akin to Paul's admonition to imitate him as he imitates Christ. And you know, it's funny. Paul imitates Christ in many ways similar to Nehemiah. And, and, and this whole passage reminded me of so many places in Paul's letters that I don't even have time to get into them all, but perhaps the best parallel with Nehemiah 5 is actually in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, when Paul talks about his rights as an apostle. The heading of that section in the ESV says, Paul surrenders his rights. And, and one of the key rights Paul mentions in that passage is, is that he and Barnabas should be entitled to full-time financial support provision from the church at Corinth. But he says... In verse 12, we've not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. In verse 15, he says, I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. I don't even want it. I don't want my rights. I want Jesus to be glorified, and I want the gospel proclaimed. And his argument sort of climaxes in the, in the next paragraph after that, a very familiar passage. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. What Paul is saying is that the mission is too important to be demanding his rights or what he's entitled to or his allowance. Just because he could doesn't mean he should. The gospel is everything for Paul, and so he becomes a servant. He lays down his rights, and that frees him up to serve. Just as for Nehemiah, this revival and the protection and welfare of God's people has become too important to demand what he's owed, his allowance. Just because he could doesn't mean he should. So Nehemiah lays down his rights, and that frees him to serve a buffet every night, and that's the food that fuels the revival. The mission of the gospel, the revival, needs to be bigger and more important than our rights. If we are forever focused on what people owe us, we will lose sight of the gospel mission. I, I feel like there's almost too many lessons in this passage to cover everything in great detail. Great lessons for leadership, but really lessons for all of us as believers. It is certainly a call to focus on the mission, and it's a call to sacrifice even our rights sometimes. It is a call for radical generosity. In the same way Nehemiah was radically vigilant, we saw in earlier weeks, uh, he is also radically generous. He has much 
to give, and so he gives away much. And even those who have little can be generous. You don't have to be independently wealthy to have another family from church over for dinner, for instance. It's a passage that also shows us that hospitality is key to revival. Nehemiah's radical commitment to this project is reflected in his hospitality. If we expect people to energetically do the work of the kingdom, it should be fueled by, yes, faith and prayer and hard work and determination, but also meals. Meals eaten together. The body that builds together must also eat together. That's why we celebrate Super Sunday even in the snow. But moreover, this passage teaches us that the best leaders are generous leaders who feed the flock, protect the flock, and relieve the flock of its heavy burdens. And it is pivotal to remember, as always, that Nehemiah is really a picture of Jesus. Jesus is the hero of every passage in Scripture. Nehemiah is awesome. He's a great governor, but it's because he reminds us of an even better leader, one who showed generous hospitality to all, who fed the masses and turned simple water into the choicest wines, one who says to take his yoke upon you, for it is easy and his burden is light. He's not heavy upon the people. And he is one who gave up all his rights and even his life that his people might live. So when you read about Nehemiah, let him point you to Jesus and imitate Nehemiah as he imitates Christ. May we be as generous and hospitable as he was and as committed to the mission of the gospel. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we do thank you for your word, we thank you for the example that Nehemiah gives us here, Lord, of somebody so committed to the kingdom, to the good of God's people, that he gives his all, that he works his fingers to the bone, but also remembers hospitality, feeds the masses, and is generous. Lord, I think that it shames all of us a bit. But Lord, we don't want to be just more like Nehemiah. We want to be more like Jesus. We know that he's only a reflection and a picture, a signpost pointing forward to Christ, Lord. We thank you that Jesus fed many. We thank you that he will feed us even today, later on in the service. Help us to be more like him. Give us commitment to the gospel. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Please stand and join me in singing the doxology. Praise God.